Welcome to Adventure Rider Radio Raw, a roundtable-style spinoff from Adventure Rider Radio that we do each month about motorcycle travel. In case you don't know, we do have the other show that I just mentioned called Adventure Rider Radio. It's the world's most popular, it's the most downloaded motorcycle podcast. We've been doing it for over five years now. I guess uh, not very far down the road, we'll be coming up with the six-year anniversary. We cover everything from in-depth interviews with uh, travelers to our famous Rider Skills Series to tech and and just a whole bunch more. Adventure Rider Radio is also in the top 5% of all podcasts, all genres for downloads. That's right around the world. So if you're not listening to Adventure Rider Radio yet... Just search for it anywhere you find podcasts or visit our website, adventureriderradio.com. On this episode of Raw, when going cheap costs you more, and do you have a contingency plan just in case you're left behind, as well as a bunch of other things as we sit around the virtual Raw campfire. But before we get going, I want to give a shout out to some people that helped the show incredibly this past month, helped get this episode to you as well. This is with a $50 or more uh, support for Adventure Rider Radio and Raw. Phil Playford, Andrew Beatty. Pierre Newreet, thank you all very much. Remember, support of $50 or more gets your shout-out right here on the show like I just did. We would love your support on our monthly account, our patron account. Drop by our website, have a look at what we've got there. AdventureRiderRadio.com, click on support. This episode of Raw is supported by FreshTracks.co.uk, facilitating adventurous conversations and Home to Adventure Space, a base camp for adventure motorcyclists in the UK right near London. Stick around, I'm going to tell you more about that in this show. Now here we go, ARR Raw for December 2019, Season 4. I want to check, Jim. (laughs) Yep. Susan, type. Susan's in the background here. Can you hear her typing? No, tell her to type louder. Can't hear it. (laughs) (laughs) From the Canoe West Media Studios on the shores of Vancouver Island, British Columbia, Canada, we are once again gathered around the virtual campfire for another session of ARR Raw. Roundtable discussions about motorcycles, travel, and everything else that crosses our mind. I mean everything. Completely unscripted, raw, and personal. My name is Jim Martin, and today at the virtual roundtable afforded through the magic of the internet, I'm joined by... Everyone, everyone's here this month, which is great. And I'm going to start off with Grant. And Grant, you, I mean, this this is our, um, this is episode 47 for us. It is December of, um, well, yeah, I guess we're, we're into December. This is the last of 2019. We're going to 2020. And next year's 20 years for Horizons Unlimited. So is there some sort of big buildup you're doing right now, getting ready for the big 2-0? We're thinking about that, but it actually it's 22 years for Horizons Unlimited. It, Horizons Unlimited went live Christmas 97 in Ushuaia, Argentina, while we were waiting for the boat that would take us to Antarctica. It's 20 years this year of Horizons Unlimited events. Ah. 2001, that was our first event. And what is it, 20, 26th or 27th of uh, this year will be uh, 23 years. Wow. Wow. So, so when you say of Horizons Unlimited, you mean the website or blog, whatever it is you started first yeah. before you came up with the idea of doing the meets? Yes. Yes. And then right. the Travelers Meeting started, the first one was 2001. So 20 years. So you're muddying the waters here. Are we talking 20 years or are we talking 23 years? <laughs> I don't know. I'm confused. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll save that. For- <laughs> but it's a, it's a big, it's, 2020 is a big year for us. Yes. Right. Either way, you're getting the 20 years cake. of Travelers Meetings is amazing. Right. Okay. Graham Field is in Bulgaria. Graham, um, do you have any water now? Last time we talked, yeah, you didn't have any water? We, the, the water came on last Saturday in the early hours of the morning. So we're up 
while it's still dark, filling up containers, doing laundry, <laughs> cleaning the bathrooms, because when you only flush once a day, they just get this like impregnated Indian stench about them. So, uh, and then did five loads of laundry and the water didn't go off and it rained and the water has remained on. This is the fourth consecutive day of water and, and the pressure in the pipe, the kettle fills up quicker. It's a, it's a life of luxury. Wow. <laughs> and it really makes you appreciate it, doesn't it? Uh, I mean, oh, I, we, we notice yeah. that, you know, when we go from spending all summer camping to having running hot water in the fall, it's like, wow, this is amazing. It makes you feel wasteful and extravagant, but in actual fact, you're just the same as you always were. You know? <laughs> <laughs> how do you how do you do the switchover? You you've got your you, you had your well hooked up before. How do you know the water comes on? It's very simple. Uh, it's just two. Well, firstly, on the on the village Facebook page, there's water, <laughs> <laughs> and then secondly, I've just got two leaves. I turn off the one from the well, and then turn on the one from the mains to feed the house. And it's very important that you remember when the water goes off and you turn your well on to turn off the one for the maze or else you feed the whole of the village from your well, which lasts for about 20 minutes and then you're dry. <laughs> which the neighborhood loves, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> Brian and Shirley in Australia, they are here. They missed us last month, but you guys are back. Where, where did you guys get to? Now, the word we got, you were at some sort of rodeo. Uh, uh, a rodeo? No, no, I don't think so. Yeah, well, you um, missed we listening just... to the episode. If you if you had heard it, you'd know exactly what I was talking about. Maybe that was misinformation then. It could have been misinformation. We were missing in action, but we're back, and we're glad we're back. Sorry, we were well, away last month. Well, we had a we had a friend that we um, um, had his Achilles um, torn, and I really had to go and see him, and uh, I couldn't get away from that. So. Sorry, sorry, sorry. So, uh, you know, um, looking after a friend like that is really important to us. So sorry, guys. Oh, no, that's, uh, yeah, definitely worthwhile doing. And uh, we missed you, but we went on. We we went ahead. Um, Sam Manicom, I believe. You soldiers on. Yes, we did. <laughs> we, we definitely soldiers. We did. Sam Manicom, I believe you are in the UK. And you just recently, I, I kind of think I saw a post there that you'd missed a big moto show for you. So did you just go on another adventure? Have you come back from that or something? Oh, well, um the motorcycle life is the UK's um, biggest motorcycle show. It's it's in the Midlands, um, so it's in the centre of everything, and it's right next door to an international airport. So people flying from overseas for it. It's it's, it's the big thing in the UK, um, and I have been working in one way or another at it for twelve years. Um, I started off when I was um, writing for a magazine, and um, they had a stand there, and so on. And then the books came, and so I've been book signing there for. I don't know, the last 10 years. Um, and this year, um, it was a bit like riding a dirt road. Um, there were wobbly bits and there were sandy bits and there were rutted bits and um, just a whole load of things were coming together. And I was thinking, hang on a minute, do I actually want to do the show this year with all of those things going on? And then I started to think about all of the things that I hadn't been able to do at that time of year because I was always at the show. And a perfect example of that is um, this year, um, my mother was 88 years old and her birthday is always in the middle of when I'm at that show. And I haven't been to her birthday party for 12 years. And I was thinking, but hang on a minute, she's 88. She's not getting any younger. How many more birthdays is she going to have? Let's just, let's just go to her birthday. And then a whole series of other things came up that made me think, I'm going to do those. 
And then I've made that decision and um, two opportunities came up and I thought, wow, I've got to have a go at those. I can't talk about them um, because I don't know if they're going to work out and I don't want to come out as more of a dick than I usually do. But let's put it this way. <laughs> um, it, the, the last couple of weeks have been really busy of good stuff. So I'm I'm really happy guy. But it was strange not to be at Motorcycle Live. Um, it's yeah, the show just buzzes. It's brilliant fun. Yeah, it sounds like you you uh, missed a big one, but it could have been worthwhile, and we won't know because it's another one of those secrets that we seem to get from you that we're not going to know about until when do we find out about these? Well, when they sort of get ripe on the tree. Ah, so even that's giving away too much information. Okay, I'll I'll, I'll let you off the hot seat then. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Well, um, we've got a we've got a number of things to talk about today, and um, the, one of the the first things we're going to start off with about um, I think most people can relate to this. Actually, you know, you think of those times where going cheap on something and then getting burned in the long run. You go cheap on it, maybe you're buying a, a product or whatever, and you think, well, I'll just buy the the super duper cheap version. You get the cheap version, and it screws up, and it messes up something else. And then next thing you know, you end up spending more money even getting uh, to get the, the better version to repair what you've done or replace what you've done and, and fix the other damage. And and uh, doesn't, it's not worth it. You know, you, you, you buy something cheap, and then it ends up costing you. Not all the time, but sometimes. And how about when it comes to when it comes to traveling? You know, like when it comes to, um, I don't know, well, you guys, have, I'm sure you've had it with bike parts, prep, you know, insurance, those sorts of things. Well, Susan says I've never gone cheap. Really? Really. <laughs> <laughs> no, hang on. Is that is that just Susan's opinion because she thinks anything you're buying is a waste of money? No. Not necessarily a waste of money, but not necessarily, but not cheap. Um, I've always had, well, I shouldn't say always. I started focusing poor as a young kid. Um, we didn't have a lot of money, so everything was cheap. And then once I started having my own money and could afford to buy things, I had had lots of experience with stuff that was cheap and just didn't last. Um, and working in a bike shop, I learned fairly quickly that if the good stuff was worth the extra money. So I've always gone for the good stuff, not necessarily the best. The best can be silly expensive and you can be paying for a brand and you can be paying for all kinds of things that really don't give you value. Um, but I never buy cheap. It's just not worth it. Because as you just finished saying, you end up spending more money in the long run. And let's be careful here. I'm of Scottish heritage and I value my money <laughs> and I don't like wasting it. Well, so well sometimes what I... What I've found before is that you, you, I'll go cheap thinking that, well, this should do it. You know, why spend more on this particular thing? Like I'm thinking this this audio piece that happened to be a, a connector. And I say, well, why spend more? I mean, it looks like it's it's perfectly good. I mean, it should work. And, you know, as you can imagine, you, you get it here and you order it. You It arrives and you plug it in and the thing doesn't work as it's supposed to. So you've never done that sort of thing? No, no. I mean, I, I will buy something that I think is good as opposed to cheap as opposed to expensive and it's a pile of crap but that's called somebody did a really good job of writing up the description of it mm. and i got suckered <laughs> but i don't deliberately buy cheap or good enough um, i'll often do repair that's good enough 
which often comes back and bites me in the ass. Yeah, that's different. Well, <laughs> I, I mean, that different. could that could go into the same category, though, couldn't it? You know, it's sure it's, it it's a similar thought process. Yeah, well, too often I've done a repair that's good enough, and that'll do for now because that's all I've got time for. And guess what? Ten years later, it's still there, still doing the same job. I should remember Jim talking about some saddlebags like that. <laughs> I was just thinking that. <laughs> I was, I was thinking yeah. more of the ones that you do with it that, that don't end up lasting very long. And you think, you know, why did I bother? I've just made a mess of this thing and, and you've got to start again. Usually that's when you're stuck, though. Yeah. Yeah. If you have to, you, you do whatever it takes. But even then, you know, if you take a little bit more time and a little bit more careful, maybe you're a little bit more prepared. Um, you can do actually a pretty nice job. You know, I had uh, that experience with that in South America. Our fairing on the corrugations there had been battering around like crazy in Africa. And by the time we got to South America, the fairing was getting, was cracking and it was starting to have some problems. But I'd actually taken along a little strip of aluminum as a repair piece because you can take a, a one inch piece of strip aluminum and bend it and, and drill holes in it pretty easily and all kinds of stuff. And I took those pieces of aluminum, cut them up, and made some fairing brackets. And 30 years later, they're still there. Or 25 years later, they're still there and still doing fine. Excellent. Because I had the right thing in the first place and carried way more stuff than I needed. I mean, I had three times as much stuff as I could have possibly used in any kind of trip. But uh, I had the bits and pieces to make the fix. So good enough. Where I've cheaped out sometimes is things like helpers. You know, not paying a helper when you're in the middle of nowhere sometimes can be not necessarily costly, but it can be really annoying. <laughs> One and probably the best experience we had of that was in uh, Pan American Highway. It was an El Nino year and the highway was flooded, like completely flooded, two feet of water. It was ridiculous. Um, and some helpers came up and they said they wanted help. They'll help. They'll help me get through this next stretch. I said, no, 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 it's okay. I don't, I don't think I need any help. I could see people were walking through and it was all right. I mean, it's, it's the highway, right? So it's got water on it. So what? <laughs> so riding along. And the trick I learned is that with a helper, if they're touching the bike, they're supposed to get paid. So here's four guys running along, each of them touching the bike. The problem was three of them were upstream and they were helping by pushing. And the water got a little bit deeper and a little bit deeper. And then the back end started to go sideways because they were pushing and it was getting light and the water was getting deep. And all of a sudden, the bike goes over and down. Boom, we're mm -hmm. underwater, literally yeah. underwater. Okay, so get them to help us pick the bike up, put them to work, and then figured all this out and said to myself, you know, the way, only way I'm going to solve this, I don't need four guys. There's just no way. So I picked two. I said, okay, you two are our helpers. And I picked one of them and said, you run ahead of us, we'll follow you. And in my mind is, if he disappears at a giant hole, I'll know to stop. <laughs> That's where you should have had another helper to, to replace him. <laughs> well, I had another guy running along behind. <laughs> he was there to help if things got, got pear-shaped. <laughs> well, that's that's a good one. You know, yeah, I mean, going cheap on help for sure. Yeah, sometimes it's worthwhile in a situation to just say, okay, you and you, and you're, you're only going to pay them like a couple of dollars. And it, it helps the local economy. It gives them some feeling of, yeah, we're doing, we're actually helping. We're doing something good here. And you're becoming part of the local situation. And they're grateful for the money. And they say, hi, thank you, and all this. And it's kind of a, a nice connection that you're making. 
as well as preventing a potential issue. So, How about you, Brian? Have you um, learned uh, not to go cheap on something through experience? Um, well, his wife doesn't like going cheap, okay? <laughs> <laughs> um, have, have we used the wrong thing- word here, going cheap? I mean, is everybody afraid of this, this word of cheap? Uh, we're good. Uh, well, you don't like it. The only, the only I don't thing- believe this. No, no, you don't. No. But um, I have gone cheap on motorcycles, no. and that can be very, very expensive, can't it, Graham? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> on a bike, and oh yeah, this is a real bargain. And all of a sudden, it costs you for bits and pieces. Uh, this seven fifty builders. Oh, pricing. don't even start. <laughs> <laughs> I am now on first name terms with every delivery service in Australia <laughs> because they are delivering bits of this bike. I reckon he's he's built the bike up via the post. Oh, I don't think it was anything to start <laughs> with. Okay. Yeah, sure. Oh, geez. I've just come back from doing a photo shoot with uh, um, a mate of mine uh, writes for a magazine, and he said, oh, can I use two of your bikes uh, for this photo shoot? And we'll go out and do some ride, you know, and we'll have a lunch and a couple of beers and it'll be all good Tell fun. Tell them what the bike store is called. Yeah, I was getting to that. Go on. It's, it's Shipbox Tourers. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so you should make them to, to, to phone you up and say, can I use two of your bikes? Yeah, yep, yep. So we've just come back from that. And, you know, the, the idea is you can buy a bike for under $3,000 and do anything with it. Well, that's true, but you've got to keep well, par- buying all those bits and pieces, don't you, sure? Yeah. <laughs> but look, as far as travel goes, um, going cheap, it, it does have its downsides, I reckon. And I, I agree with what Grant said about fixes and people like that. To get you through border crossings, then you don't go cheap. Sometimes it's just not worth it. Insurance is another one. And this is a really, really salutary lesson about going cheap with insurance. Oh, travel insurance. We Don't go, go cheap, cheap with it. Because that was that couple um, that uh, were injured. Uh, they had a, a fight with um, the insurance company who wouldn't fly them back to Australia. As so just on a serious note, I, I really think you've got to be careful about that. And cheap bikes, while he talks with great affection for these, we've got a shed full of these cheap bikes. But the one that goes on all the holidays, the one that does all the travel is the GS, which is actually worth about two and six now. But when we got it. <laughs> well, did we tell you the story that I went to get it valued because we had to change names and all that sort of stuff? I'll tell you about that. Yeah, I think I so. You, you, be- you said it, was, it yeah, wasn't yeah, worth yeah. much. $500. Yes. <laughs> 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 yeah. No, I told him where to go. And it's still going fine. But that, look, um, yeah, the other thing is bits and pieces for your bike. Yeah, I bought, um, you know, I had a, a, a GPS on the bike for travelling and just had the standard um, Garmin mount and all that sort of stuff. And you know what? It was a pain in the bum. So I ended up spending a fair bit of money to buy a Touratech mount for it, and it was the best thing I ever did because you could leave it on the bike. It was locked on the bike. It was very secure, and look, going cheap sometimes just doesn't help. 
that's the way that's how I think about it anyway. And Shirley would agree with that with um just rooms. about everything. Yeah, just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> started travelling. Brian used to go in and organise the rooms when we were on our first trip. After about two countries, I worked out that his idea of adequate and my idea of adequate were vastly different. So ever since then, I choose the rooms. And sometimes cheap is really good and fun and funky and sometimes it's dirty and grotty and unpleasant. And uh, so we sort of go a little more up the dollar range when it's going to be dirty and unpleasant. Susan does the same thing. She's the one that picks the room, not me, <laughs> for the same yeah. reason. <laughs> yeah, but, but you, right. you, get, you would be happy. You and Brian would be happy with the cheaper room, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm fine. To do sleep on the ground. doesn't worry me. She has to be happy. That's right. Happy life, happy uh, wife. Isn't that how it goes? Happy wife, happy life. Whatever. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Brian knows the saying. <laughs> only too well, Jim. Only too well. <laughs> the, 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 um, I, I might have said this before. I met a, a Polish guy uh, when I was in Albania. And I was enthusing about the tent I got. I got a really good tent, but I got it cheap because I got it off eBay. And I was just saying how much better it was than the last one. And he said, yes. He said, poor people can't afford to buy cheap stuff. And that is so true. Because if, if you are on a budget with certain things, if you buy cheap, particularly with tents, you buy a cheap tent, it leaks why are you camping? You're camping be, probably because you don't want to spend out in a room. But if you've had a bad night's sleep because your tent's leaked, then then it's completely detrimental. It hasn't done what it's supposed to do. So I think there are times when it's worth spending money to get quality, but it's a fine line. Equally, I had a Swiss Army knife that I'd had for 20 years, and then I lost it. So I replaced it with another proper Victor Knox Swiss Army knife and lost it. And a third. In 12 months, I lost three bloody Swiss Army knives. Now, that's really heartbreaking. That's really annoying that you spent money on quality and then lost it. So I bought a cheap ass little copy, and it's crap. Yeah, still got it. I wish I would lose it. I lose it. <laughs> so that's wait a second I got to point out that's another waste of money because now you've bought a piece of junk that you're stuck with that was a waste of money and you, now you still have to go out and buy a proper knife well it's, 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 the, it's the thing about um, I just actually wrote a column about this for a bench bike to me about the, the, the shallowness of materialism and there, there are some things where quality counts and there's other times where actually it ends up owning you and you become more neurotic about it so it's a fine line. You know, if you look on it, I, I spend half my life on eBay, and generally um, my search criteria is lowest price first. But if you put in highest price first, there's these things advertised at a disproportionately high price just for the people who think, well, it's the most expensive, it must be best. Yeah. But if you scroll through, that exact same item is available for significantly less. So it's not about how much you pay it's about the level of quality so i mean now it's very easy to re review anything you, before you buy it but um yeah there's nothing better than a bargain but it's it's, it's got to be good value so going cheap can work i mean i you know i always think the prices of ebay because you can you pay a fraction of the price um 
for, for, for stuff. You let someone else buy the quality. They don't use it. They put it on eBay. You buy it and use it for what it was meant for. That's that's kind of my life philosophy. Yeah, or, you, or you pick it up at a yard sale or something like that. I think that in, in my thought process that going cheap on is rarely, very, very rarely ever worthwhile. Like you mentioned about camping, you know, I've seen that before where people buy cheap tents, cheap tarps, um, cheap cooking sets, all those sorts of things that are problematic. And then often you'll hear people say that, oh, well, it didn't cost me much. Well, it didn't do the job, right? If it didn't do the job and it didn't cost you much, well, then you just wasted a small amount of money, I guess, on it rather than getting something quality that's going to last you a while. Um, and and I like what you said about being neurotic about the the um, things that you have because that kind of happens when you have an expensive bike with a, a lot of farkles on it, doesn't it? You you tend to be more paranoid about that than you do if you rode you know an old KLR. <laughs> I had to throw in the KLR. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I didn't have that neurosis <laughs> when I did my first trip. Uh, it, it didn't. It, nothing really mattered that much. It was done on such a, a tight budget. I was talking to someone recently about I. I traveled around India for six months in 96 and I had 2,000 US dollars and I lived on that for six months and that was more than enough. By the way, I traveled, but I was traveling, I was staying in places, literally, literally a mud hut with a thatched roof and nothing in there, nothing at all. You laid on your spare clothes, a rat would come in every night and nibble at the corners of my backpack. And I stayed there for four or five nights. There's no way I would do that now. But at the time, it was perfectly acceptable. It was, <laughs> I could afford it. It was it was saving me money. It was good enough. It was a roof over my head, although not <laughs> totally sort of, a, didn't, it didn't really keep me safe completely. But it was good enough. I think you adjust your, your criteria based on your budget. Sam, you've been awfully quiet. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true, Graham. Yeah, no, I'm I'm just fascinated by the stories that everybody's telling. Um, it's, it's one of the things I really like about this show. All of the yarns that come out of it. And I was, as the guys were talking, I was just thinking about a friend of mine who um, always buys cheap tools. And his theory is, if I buy a cheap tool and I use it more than once, then I know that it's a tool that I need to have as a good quality tool. So I'll go out and buy the best that I can find and afford. And I kind of like that because how often have I bought a tool that's a good quality tool thinking, yeah, I, I, that's a really nice tool to have in my kit. And then I hardly ever use the blooming thing. So is that good value or is my mate doing things the best way around? Um, I've got another friend who's um, recently bought um, an F800 GSA it's got, um, he paid 250 pounds for it. So what's that? About 300 US dollars. Um, wow. It's got 125,000 miles on it. And um, its insurance value is um, 400 pounds. So when Brian mentioned the story was Big Red, I just thought, yeah, okay, similar. And I tell you what, this bike is sweet as a nut. It sounds beautiful. It's smooth. It's the the guy who owned it before must have taken such good care of it. So, 125,000 miles of good care is that cheap? 
Um, is that going to be a bargain or actually is it just a disaster waiting to happen? It's a gamble, isn't it? Well, with that, with that sort of thing, it might be. That, that might be. A, I mean, I don't know. That's, a, that's, really, that's really subjective, I guess. It depends on what you're going to do with it. But, but you, you mentioned about the tools. The thing with the tools is, if I can go back to that, is that I find that um, well, with, always with cheap tools, unless it's a, a hammer and even then you have, that can be problematic. But um, cheap tools, they don't work as well, if at all. You get a cheap wrench, for instance, uh, you know, it'll skip on the head of a bolt the first time you have to put uh, any pressure on it. So that would be the type of thing. I think in particular, tools are the type of thing that can come back and bite you. Oh, I agree. Um, I, I personally never buy the cheapest tools. It's, for me, yeah. it's just not worth it. Um, yeah. But I, I, I am, I am a, a culprit of buying cheap stuff. Um, I mentioned a few shows back about um, my rain trousers. Oh, I'm being such a tight ass over this. I really should just spend the money on a really good quality pair of um, waterproof over trousers. Um, and because I, you know I've got this stupid back injury, I have to be able to have something that I can get my feet down inside with my boots on. Otherwise, I do an impersonation of a Sudanese whirling dervish, or I look as if I'm auditioning for a Charlie Chaplin movie by the side of the road. And you know, it's and I, I've just gone through a whole raft of stupid cheap trousers. I mean, the the latest attempt was. Um, I, I posted something on Facebook and anybody got any suggestions and loads of people came back to me and said get, get yourself some hiking over trousers and go for this brand and go for that brand so I went for that brand and on this last trip in the United States um, one day of heavy rain um, explained to me that actually hiking over trousers aren't necessarily designed to cope with the pressure of rain at 70 miles an hour plus. So, of course, within minutes, I was just soaked all the way through. Sam, stop being a cheapskate. Go and buy yourself a really decent pair of rain trousers. Um, Bike gear is certainly something you can't scrimp on. Yep. There's nothing um, worse than being cold and wet and having to, you know, muddle your way through another two or 300 kilometres. No, absolutely. Yeah, but I mean, that's it's tough like though cheap. because bike gear can go anywhere from. I mean, you can get a jacket for I don't know. Let's say let's say a hundred and fifty dollars um, on up to twenty five hundred dollars. And so, where do you go in that range? Yeah, it's a tough one. Yeah, being at a. Um, a sales booth for a company which shall be unnamed and this guy was discussing with his wife she was looking at suits and jackets and stuff and she kept saying oh it's so expensive and he kept saying and how many jackets do you have now that you hate and how much did they cost hmm just buy it buy the good one hmm. oh Brian, did you hear that what? <laughs> <laughs> just buy it might happen here. <laughs> it's also like camping gear, isn't it? I mean, a cheap sleeping bag, why yeah. would you do it? Yeah, it's, it's not worth it's it. One frozen just, night. <laughs> yeah, just one frozen night or, yeah, anyway, it's just not worth it. And Birgit discovered um, when we were traveling um, in South America, we were in Ecuador, actually, um, and Birgit likes wine. At the time, I was preferring beer. And we would always have a good old hunt around. In South America, we found a lot of cheap wine. Um, and in some countries, it was actually really, really good. I mean, Argentina, for example, um, this was in the early days of casks, you know, the boxes of, of wine. And what you could get there for a few dollars, wow, you'd be spending a lot of dollars in, in the UK for. Anyway, we made it up to Ecuador. 
and she fancied a bottle of wine. So we went to the supermarket and looked through and there was everything from about $25 right the way down to $2. And so Birgit thought, well, actually, that $2 bottle, that looks quite nice. I tell you what, it was like paint stripper. <laughs> Antifreeze. Birgit's face said it all perfectly with a first sip. But we were traveling with um, um, a friend at the time and she said, no, I've spent the money. Um, I'm going to drink it. Oh, the next morning. Uh, just she looked so ill from this stuff. Really. <laughs> you can get here in Bulgaria a significant, very, very cheap wine. When I first got here, there was a bottle of wine that was one lev ninety nine. That's that was about seventy pence for a bottle of wine, and it, it's called Sofia, the, the, the capital of the, of the country, and they do red and white in that, in that for that price. And I used to buy this wine because I couldn't believe how cheap it was. And I loved that I could get a buzz for less than a quid. That was pretty good. <laughs> What's that, yeah, under an next, American dollar? <laughs> yeah, about, about a US dollar. And um, But the next morning, I realized that I probably should have spent a bit more. <laughs> and, and, and now I spent in excess of sometimes £2.50 for a bottle of it, and it's significantly better. Oh, wow. <laughs> You're at the top of the bottom. <laughs> Graham, that's got to be about a £10, £12 bottle of wine in the UK, hasn't it? The equivalent. Yeah, yeah. Ooh. I mean, and you think, and it's, this This is Bulgarian wine, it's made here. So you think, you know, not only are you paying your import, uh, the, the cost of transport in the UK, but then you've got all your taxes on it. So, you you know, you're paying so much more for it. This, this is why so many Brits come to Bulgaria and become alcoholics, is because it's so cheap. <laughs> so cheap. <laughs> 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 drink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can get Ryan on tap, but not water. Hey, Graham. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so it's really, it's kind of difficult, you know, because you think about it, those times where we talk about somebody buying a cheap sleeping bag or, or buying a cheap tent. Um, it, it's sometimes difficult to know what you're buying. Like if you don't know about sleeping bags and you don't know about tents, you can look at the sleeping bags and especially today with the products that are on the shelf and not know what to buy and then just buy something cheap and end up getting screwed on it. You know, you find that afterwards that, it didn't keep you warm. It's kind of tough to say where you go in that price range, isn't it? Like we we're saying about the jackets. Oh yeah, yeah. But if you go middle of the range, uh, if you don't know what you're doing, you get something reasonable. You know, if you do your research, particularly with sleeping bags, you know, know the weight and know what it can do. Uh, and how cold you, the yeah. climate is going to be that you're going to be needing it to keep you warm. But also today there there is you know, horizons and, and other places. You put the word out there and every man and his dog will have an opinion on oh, yes. <laughs> well, good value. Is that good? And sometimes, well, sometimes you just have to weigh up which one's the idiot and which one knows what they're doing and take a punt. But you can... You know, you can often find even I, I heard Graham say before that you have a your village has a Facebook page, uh -huh. our town has a Facebook page, and if you put something on looking for recommendations for something, you'll get all sorts of advice and you can usually work out work out the wheat from the chaff and which one's the one worth taking. Yeah. It's like asking which are the best tyres or hard or soft panniers. <laughs> Just what I was thinking. They're the oh, posts no. that you look at. And there's like 85 comments and a lot of them are, you know, sub comments. People responding, getting ticked off at somebody else for, for what they're saying. <laughs> it, it's, I, I, to me, that's that's always, um I, I, I don't do that because I find that, it's, um you know, like I, I'm looking for something for me and everyone's giving their opinions for something for them. And, and I think it's just almost impossible yeah. to find uh, something that, that suits you through someone else's eyes. 
You have to be very careful and try and figure out where they're coming from. One of the things we always ask on the board when some people ask about, oh, what do, what do we need to know about a carne, for instance? Uh, well, what country do you live in, for starters, and where are you going? Those are first questions. Like, what are the basic parameters here? Mm-hmm. Um, so you need to try and evaluate all the things that are around that are peripheral and decide. Like, I just go back to sleeping bags because that's a favorite subject of mine. I used to sell sleeping bags in a sporting goods store. And I remember that um, a particular sleeping bag was rated from 20 Fahrenheit to 30 Fahrenheit. It was a good warm sleeping bag for that. Well, I know because I owned one of those that it's no good below 40 Fahrenheit because I froze to death in it. (laughs) And yet it depends on you. Like Susan and I are completely opposite in body temperatures. She sleeps under a single sheet in this thinnest piece of junk synthetic quilt. I've got six inches of down quilt on top of me, and I'm just fine, thank you. And she'll often throw her quilt off and just use the sheet. Yeah, but you're built like a race of greyhound. You know, there's no meat on your bones, mate. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, just got I wish I was. Of, of Susan camping in hot countries and Grant's in one tent in the shade and Susan's in the, in the other one. Um, yeah. No, because you know, I mean, lying next door to Susan must be lying next door to a hot water bottle. It is. She's a furnace. It's just amazing. I can, I've never been able to understand it. <laughs> I'm still stuck on the first part of the story. I'm sort of caught up in the fact that you were actually a sleeping bag salesman. I mean, what do you look like when you're a sleeping bag salesman? What did you wear? I sold all kinds of stuff. Oh, because you said you sold sleeping bags for a living. I thought you were a sleeping bag salesman. Oh, no. And I was wondering, is that door to door? No. I sold all that camping stuff and all the rest of it. I can tell you about stitches per inch and all kinds of good stuff. But we won't go into that here. But anyway, the thing to know, to understand about something like a sleeping bag is how warm do you sleep yourself as opposed to the standard that they decided to rate it on, which is usually the, the hottest furnace person they can find so that it sounds good. Always buy something a little warmer and you can always throw it off if you're too yeah. warm. Mm-hmm. But Makes sense. you can't add more. More sleeping bag? No. And sleeping in all your riding gear and clothing inside your sleeping bag just is wrong. Well, I'm laughing because um, I've been traveling for um, 20 years with the same sleeping bag. And it started off as a great sleeping bag, but over the years, and I did wash it with the right stuff. Um, so, you know, I took took care of it properly, but over the years, it's got um, cooler and cooler. So I have finally shelled out on a really good quality sleeping bag. And I'm sitting here listening to Grant and I'm thinking, so how cold a person am I? Have I spent enough money on this sleeping <laughs> bag? Thanks, Grant, for adding this air of doubt into my mind. <laughs> Sorry, mate. <laughs> But, you know, just before we came on air, um, I was having a bit of a flick through um, on the computer and an advert came up for um, iPhone 8, £348, reconditioned. Now, they're well over £1,000 in the UK. Um, So, hang on a minute. Is that a deal that's cheap and too good to be true? How do you know whether a deal's too good to be true? Mm. Because sometimes there is stuff that's really good sounding value. And you look at the provenance of it. I mean, it's an iPhone 8. I mean, there is cheap gear out there that is really good quality. And you have to start looking at how the stuff's made, haven't you? Um, Go and actually physically look at it and think, well, actually, look at the seams on this. They're excellent. Look at the design on it. Look at the quality of the straps, et cetera, et cetera. I have no idea why this is as cheap as it is, but it looks great, so I'm going to risk it. 
You know, I, I don't know. To, to nowadays, there's so much junk out there that looks like it, it, it's the part. I mean, you, you stand there and you look at it and it, it looks like it should be for a quality item, but then you take it and you use it and then you quickly find out the materials are substandard, the seams pull apart, whatever the case is. Uh, I think it's very difficult to go just on, on looks alone nowadays. And, and even reviews, I mean, that can be difficult. I was recently looking on Amazon and um, I'm, I'd, I'd look at the reviews for something and I went through a bunch of different uh, products all in the same range, all doing the same sort of thing. And I, and I noticed that on average, like 25% of the reviews are going to be three star or less. And these are people who are not happy with it. So it, it kind of leaves you in this spot. This thing's rated four and a half star, yet 25%, one in four, are finding they don't like it and they're complaining about it. It, it yeah, really kind of leaves you sitting there wondering it, what to do. It, it, it. See, that's the problem, Jim. Nowadays, most people are buying a lot of stuff like this online. So when do you get to touch it, feel it, look at it, look at the stitching and things like that, unless you go into a store and then you're, you know, you're sort of cheating the store by going there and doing that too. Mm. Um, so, you know, you, sometimes you do have to rely on these reviews or, or make up your own mind from just from reading those reviews that you were talking about. Yeah. And some of the other things too is uh, um, the, the product names that come up, like unless you're buying a brand name and, and that's sort of what I would lean to if, if it's within the budget mm. is lean to a brand name that you know the reputation of and you know what the customer service is like because there's so many products that are made out there that like I say, look and feel like they, they are the product until you get them out and put them in the field and actually try them. So I think brand name is probably about one of the safest ways um, that you can go because often that some of the brands you'll see, even in uh, big uh, boxes, stores they'll have a brand that you know it'll come up with this name that you've never heard of before yet it's all over the shelves and then two years down the road it's gone you'll never see it again it's a different brand name yeah just to be devil's advocate here the problem with brand names is um there's there's a lot of copies of fraudulent items out there like yeah. there, there's a been thing recently with helmets showy and, and shoebeth and there's there's replicas and it's always happened with power tools dewalt and makita they look exactly the same but they're not they're replicas so um, if you're seeing something with a brand name that's significantly cheap on eBay, is it genuine? You know, yeah. in the shop it probably is. Mm. But um, again, it's just something else to be aware of. That's why you yeah. go to the shop. So you you got to go to to a, a reputable place to buy it. Like you got to look at, and that's why I'm saying when you're online, you look at the seller and you're thinking, you know, it says AG Sales uh, NTL, and you're thinking, well, what does that mean? Like, who are these people? <laughs> yeah, I hate it when you can't figure out who they actually are and where they're based. Yeah. I don't know where they where they come from or anything else about them. I was looking at batteries for a laptop recently, and I looked on to uh, Amazon, Amazon Canada, and there's like 25 different manufacturers of batteries for a 10-year-old laptop. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> and then you read through the reviews and you start digging down. You oh my god, Just broke, burst into flames, died <laughs> on the first day, <laughs> <laughs> literally fell apart. <laughs> and like Sam, Jim was just saying. 25% or more of people were dissatisfied with it. And then there's a lot of people that were very happy with it. But did you know that you could, people were actually buying reviews, good reviews on Amazon? Yeah. Yeah. That's what I, I do. I'll tell you a story that um, I did a review on something that I was very dissatisfied with. And I don't like doing reviews, to be honest with you. I try to, I try to give good reviews so that like, if I do a bad review, I'll try and make sure that I go and rate the other things that I've bought. But I, anyway, I had this one review that I did that was bad and it was, it was something that was rather expensive. This is the, quite a number of years ago now, but the company actually contacted me and they offered to give me 
I think it was $30 Amazon money to change my review. Now, it wasn't a terrible review, but it wasn't a good review. Um, but they were going to mm-hmm. give me $30 Amazon money. And I thought, this is so wrong. I contacted mm-hmm. Amazon about it and they said... Um, it wouldn't happen again, but it was like another year later, they sent me another email, the same thing, offering me money to change the review. Well, I mean, that, that's sort of it. When I saw that, and especially the second time it came around, I thought that really makes me think again about the reviews that I'm looking at. Well, yeah, there's a, a what, I think students in the UK, one of the way they, they can earn income is there's, there's companies who say review our products. They don't see the product. They don't know the product. They just write a positive review to up this product in the rating. So, yeah, even reviews you can't fully trust. <laughs> I mean, there are companies that have teams of people who earn money sitting writing reviews. And I know this because one of these companies approached me and said, would you like 100,000 reviews on your books? What? I think you're exaggerating my books just a little bit with that idea. But yeah, there are companies out there that you can pay to do reviews on your products. Yeah, when uh, Guy Martin's book came out, he instantly had 500 five-star reviews and they were all one word. Brilliant, fantastic, great, loved it. And it was clearly manufactured reviews. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So I wonder if there's um like as far as as far as going cheap or as far as um, going at the lower price thing. I wonder if there's a difference w- between product and experience because Graham, you'd mentioned there that you were you were satisfied with staying at a cheap place. Like I mean, if you buy a cheap product, if you buy the cheap uh, rain pants like Sam did, then you end up getting soaked and you wasted the money on those ones. You're going to have to buy more. But if you go with a cheap hotel. You still got the experience. I mean, is there anything like long-term, any sort of long-term downside to that sort of thing? Uh, As long as you didn't get scabies or anything. (laughs) Well, that's terrible, isn't it? (laughs) It's not very pleasant while you got it, though. And for Brian, he just never lives it down. That's the downside (laughs) for him. If we stay in a really bad room, I never let him forget it, so... Are you still thinking about Del Bear in 2002, are you? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I was just going to tell one last story about a traveler who shall remain nameless. And he was traveling on the cheap and wanted to do the Darien Gap. So his method of doing it was to just keep checking around with boats. And he finally ended up finding one boat that looked, you know, was okay. Uh, but it was really cheap. And he said, yep, we'll get you to Columbia. We'll drop you off. Not a problem. All fine. So he loads up his boat, his bike onto the boat, and off they go. And they're approaching Columbia, and it's dark. And he says, well, wh- where are we going to dock? I don't see any lights. And he says, oh, just right, right ahead there. They dropped him off on a beach in the middle of the night and told him to ride quickly and quietly through the next town and make sure he avoided the police. always a bad sign (laughs) always a bad sign he figured out that the next stop for them was going to be dropping off a load or picking up a load from Colombia and taking (laughs) (laughs) okay so be careful that too good a deal you know well, I, I guess a lot of this comes down to due diligence. You know, you've got to you've got to get in there and touch and feel the product or find figure out some way, some way to to decide whether the product is worthy or not. I would say for products, I think we probably all agree that brand name bought from a reputable uh, reseller is probably the, the way to go. And experience, well, if you can stand it and, and if you're not um, getting a room for Shirley, then you're probably good to go with something super cheap. That's what you Shirley, just think to yourself, aren't you lucky that you didn't marry Graham? 
<laughs> I don't quite know what to say. <laughs> oh, it was it was the rats chewing the the, the rucksack that got me. <laughs> well, and I, I guess I've, due diligence I've could saved be. you, Graham. I've absolutely saved you, mate. <laughs> but I guess there's something. If I had married Graham, I'm thinking the marriage wouldn't have lasted the first night of the rat nibbling at the backpack. I would have taken you somewhere for nicer for a honeymoon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they just have mice there. They're much smaller. <laughs> Probably have a bed, you know. <laughs> yeah, cockroaches, you know. It's a cockroach. They're friendly little critters. <laughs> and I, I, I mean, I guess it's the same as everything. Everything you have to put in your due diligence, whether it's your, your products or, or, um, or your riding partner. For instance, if you... Uh, <laughs> or your husband. <laughs> or your husband, sure. There's always that. I mean, you got to think about that sort of thing. Um, and that takes us into our next piece, talking about um, knowing your, your travel partners and contingency planning. You know, we have a, a, a segment we're doing um, on Adventure Rider Radio right now called Southward Chronicles, where uh, Jeremy Craker and Elle West are, are headed to uh, Ushuaia. And they're traveling together, but they both actually have all their own gear so that if, if something goes wrong on this trip, they can split up and go their own ways. And, and they're a couple, so it's kind of weird when you hear it. You think, well, that's kind of strange for a couple to do. But the thing is with them is that they're a couple that sort of had a bit of a long-distance relationship up until the departure for the trip. And now they're 24-7 together. I mean, and I said to them, it's, it's worse than um, living together because living together, you go off to work during the day. Here, they're traveling together and going through all the stresses. So they actually have all their their own things with them so that if anything goes wrong, they both agreed right from the start, they can take off and split, you know, and, and go their, their own ways. Um, and, and Graham, you had something similar that, that um, a, a similar sort of experience that made you think of the same thing recently. Yeah, I think, well, the people you're talking about, it's like a, a prenuptial agreement, isn't it? Sort of going off together. Yeah. You do. I have, tra- I mean, I'm generally a solo traveler. There's a reason for that. People can't put up with me. But there's generally this, um, there's, uh, it's when you travel with someone, whether it's a partner or, or friends or whatever, as you say, 24-7, it changes everything. It's not like being roommates. It's not like being a couple. You really, you really have to be, able to compromise and be tolerant of each other's shortcomings because none of us, funnily enough, are perfect. Um, and we had a uh, we had an incident in motor camp uh, recently where a, a couple split up in motor camp and uh, the, the pillion was left behind and had nothing. Uh, didn't even have the language, no transport uh, and no money. And um, it just made me think... Uh, you you have to have a, a degree of independence. You might not be able to ride a bike. You might have a joint bank account. But whether it's by accident or because of a, a steaming furious row or whatever, you will find yourself on your own. And how independent are There was an incident actually again in India uh, some years later. I was traveling with a girlfriend. And we stopped at this, uh, we're on train, and we stopped at station. There was this really yummy-looking food stall doing these big pancakes. And I said, oh, go and get some pancakes. So I jumped off the train, 
and uh, the guy's cooking the pancakes for me. And out of the corner of my eye, I saw something moving. It was my train. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, um, he cooked them. It was a long train. So he finished the pancakes, wrapped them for me. I jumped on the train and slowly walked my way, carriage by carriage, back to where my girlfriend was. Now, my girlfriend didn't know I was on the train. So she's thinking that he's left everything here. He's left his passport, his bum bag, his money, his backpack, everything. Am I going to get off the train with him? Or do I get off at the next stop? This is before we have mobile phones. What am I going to do? The, the relief on her face was beyond just seeing me turn up with a pancake. <laughs> 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 yeah, you suddenly realize, what the hell do you do if you suddenly find yourself not with that person who you were reliant upon? As in an escape route, um, you know, the last uh, the, the, I suppose the, the last straw that you, you find thing is to find your embassy. But in a big country, a small country with no money, you've got to get there. You've got to feed yourself on the way. So um, I think it's quite important to consider uh, an escape route and, and what you would do if you suddenly find yourself in a situation where you are no longer with that person you were travelling with and fully reliant upon. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think it's all. I think it's all part of planning, Graham. Um, really, when you when you go, it's a contingency plan. What happens if we we've got, we um, uh, split up, or what happens if we get separated? I think uh, you have to think about that with your partner, but also your riding buddies. Sometimes some riding buddies can get right on your nerves if you're travelling with them, and you want a bit of space. And uh, if you're stuck with them uh, for a long trip and you've shared all the, your tools and all those sorts of things, well, how are you going to do that? You know. Mm-hmm. So I think those guys that are travelling down to Ushuaia are pretty smart, Jim. I really do. Um, yeah. That they're, they're, they're actually independent and you never know what's around the corner. You can get on each other's nerves. Um, uh, I, I did a trip recently where, you know, and you're travelling for six weeks with the, the same group of guys and one guy just wanted a bit of space. And um, he would ride off uh, earlier than the, the others, and uh, that was fine. And we'd meet up at the end of the day. Sometimes you need to do that when you're travelling. But when it's your partner, when you are side by side, cheek to jowl, day after day after day, I lost count of the number of people that told us that our marriage wouldn't last because <laughs> we were doing what we were doing. And it was nothing further than the truth. It actually made us closer together. Mind you, it's just as well it did make us closer together because we never actually had a contingency plan. (laughs) (laughs) True. So Shirley, what would you do then when Brian takes off and leaves you standing somewhere because he's frustrated with you? How do you handle that? Um, I don't know. I always make sure I've got my credit cards on me. (laughs) So um, I'd never be left without money. Um, yeah, so obviously, I'm, I'm kidding there when I say that, but I mean, th- so you actually do have a contingency plan. Let me tell you, let me tell you about our honeymoon. Um, we uh, we were we flashed with cash, but we'd taken uh, our honeymoon and um, we'd ran out of money. Didn't Where's we? this going? Well, just like Brian, you can be still living at the end of this story. Cheryl hid some money, and we were in Hawaii, and she said to me. Well, you know, I've got this little bit of money. Why don't we go and hire a car with the kids, and we'll go around, um, we'll go a lap around uh, the uh, island. So me and the eldest went off, and she said, "I'll oh, just get a little car, you know, a little four-wheel drive or something." We came back with a Mustang. 
which was great. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually had that much money tucked away. <laughs> my mother always taught me you should have money tucked away for contingencies. And there have been a couple of times, Jim, where um, we've been somewhere uh, sightseeing or shopping and I've lost sight of him. And uh, I can get a bit anxious about that, but it's never gone beyond about five or ten minutes and I find him again. You just go to the cheapest hotel and there he is. The bird gets an awful lot shorter than I am, so um, I lose her in crowds really easily. <laughs> uh, 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 we just ended up with her always walking in front of me because otherwise, because, you know, she like we all do, she'd see something that was interesting, so she'd stop and look at it. And within seconds, that was it. She's just gone. And the, unless she's um, walking around with a pogo stick, Punked under her arm, then I'm going to lose her forever. Um, but we always used to walk around um, with um, some ready cash and a credit card and our passport and so on, and, and we, t- we didn't leave them behind. And th- what Graham said about getting off the train to do the pancakes, I was sitting there th- listening to this and I was thinking, ah, oh, I can see the disaster about about to happen. Oh, this, this is a real worry. But I bet you never did that again because, well, you learn, don't you? Um, yeah, I mean, it was such a spontaneous thing, you know, yep. to j- jump off a train and do that. And it could have been a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I think when people are traveling together, um, be they in a group or um, as a duo, th- they've got to do an awful lot of research about each other before they even go um, so that they're decreasing the opportunities for something to go wrong. And the situation that Graham was talking about in motocamp, I was just thinking, well, you know, when people are heading out to travel together, they have to find out things about each other, such as have they ridden enough together to find out what everybody's riding abilities are? Do they know what each other's budgets really are? I've met guys who set off on trips and one of them's actually quite flush and the other one's adequately funded, but no more. And they end up breaking up because the one who's got plenty of cash just gets so frustrated about not being able to do everything. Um, You need to find out who's good at what, who's good at tech, who's good at map reading, who's good at bargaining, all of those sorts of things, so that you're already building up a travel style before you go. And it's not just... Making up as you're traveling. And it's it's, not just... Sorry, Phil. That's right. Go on. I was just going to say, it's not just a... A financial budget is a time budget as well. Yes, exactly. with someone who was in far bigger hurry than I was. I was there at Cedar Sites and he was all destination driven. So yeah. it's another thing to bear in mind. Yeah, absolutely. A lot is uh, you get a couple say, we're going to go around the world. And I can just see the little cartoon above her head. Museums and nice restaurants and sightseeing. And I can see a little bubble above his head, a really windy, twisty road taken about as quickly as he can go. And it's it is, it is and many bike museums and bike museums. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you, you have to really discuss what does a trip around the world or to the next country or whatever you're going to do really mean to you? What is it that you want to see? How long, how many miles a day do you want to do? Um, what things do you want to stop and spend time at? What things could you care less about? All of these things matter. And if you have a couple, it's really easy to head off. And I've seen it. They head off and they have two completely different ideas about what this trip is. And marriages do founder. I know of several that have completely failed and split up and they never want to see each other again because they went off on this trip without having a clear understanding of what each wanted. And neither was adequately willing to compromise. 
Do you know, I've talked to people in that situation and they have deliberately not discussed the real nitty gritty about what each other wants because they're so afraid that their instincts, that the other person wants to do a lot of things that they don't want to do and vice versa, um, that they're so afraid about the trip not actually happening, they're prepared to just wing it and take the gamble. And it's, it's just dire straits because oh. when you're out on the road, you can't do that. No. You can't, can you? It's, you it's have just, to communicate. Yeah, but absolutely. you do need to compromise. I mean, compromise absolutely. is probably one of the biggest things when you're traveling pe with people. We met a young man um, in uh, Astrakhan to travel through the stands with, mm -hmm. and we hadn't met him before. Brian had been conversing with him over the internet, and we spent, I don't know, three or four weeks with well, Damien. He was lovely. And we had a fabulous well, time. Right. He wanted right. someone to travel with. We were more than happy to pal up with him. A couple of times we stayed in separate hotels because our budgets didn't match. But in that part of the world, you don't have a lot of choice. And uh, he was a great travelling companion. And uh, we were very sad when we said goodbye to him when we were going into Tajikistan and he wasn't coming that far. Yeah, Something I, I tell people that are heading off on these big trips as a group or even single is if you're heading off as a, as a two guys, for instance, you can head off on a trip and be prepared at any time to split off and, oh, I'll meet you in some, the next country or the next big city or whatever. And you may meet other single travelers along the way that you want to team up with for a little while. So long as everybody is themselves prepared to travel solo, you'll meet up with people and have a good time along the way. And that's great. You'll ride with a variety of people. That's yeah, good. No, yeah, uh, yeah. That's 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 very that's very true, Graham. Uh, I'm uh, advising one of my very good friends about he's just about to retire and he's going to travel South America by himself. And I've, I've been telling him that all along. You will meet people, very like-minded people, and you will have a great time. Some you will like, some you won't. But you know, he's smart enough to work all that out. And that's, oh, yeah. that's the attitude you've got to have. Yeah, I, I saw a, a little post recently. It said. Um, the world is not full of arseholes, but they are spaced just right so you come across one every day. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah. <laughs> well, they do say that 1% of the population are sociopaths, so there you go. <laughs> but, of course, another thing when, you, when you're going off on your big trip, um, probably saved for for ages, talked about for ages, have romanticized about for ages, is it's bloody hard. There are going to be days where you don't see the sun for four or five days, where you're putting on wet clothes. And that's the real test of the of the friendship, of the companionship, is is when when the roads are boring, when the scenery is uninspiring, when the weather is appalling, when the bike breaks down, because it isn't joyous every single day. No, it no. can be hard work. When, when Birgit and I met, I was not looking for a girlfriend. Um, in part because, well, hey, well, I was busy with my big trip. Um, but partly I wasn't looking for a girlfriend because I didn't think I was going to find anybody who was already an experienced traveler, um, who had a level-headed, positive attitude towards things, who was prepared to have a go at just about anything and um, was prepared to say, actually, no, I don't want to do that. And I think somebody who's prepared to do all of those things, I just didn't expect to find somebody like that. Um, so I count myself as being incredibly lucky. And I hope everybody else who sets off on a travel, not looking for a partner, finds somebody who's just as hot. 
Oh, well said. That's, that's beautiful. Ooh, Why don't you say no. things like that, Brian? Oh, don't. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Brian. Jeez. <laughs> but listen, I mean, just changing the subject quickly to say, Brian, um, <laughs> when, when people are, are heading out um, to travel with somebody else, and actually, no, I mean, even they've had, they're heading out to travel on their own. I think that everybody should have an emergency stash of money that is absolutely untouchable except for in a dire emergency. And this might be a credit card that's only for emergency use and it is already loaded with funds and it's got a higher credit limit on it. And you cannot touch this card until something goes absolutely pear-shaped and you've always got that card handy. Um, a, A stash of cash, a couple of hundred dollars. And this is your emergency get out of jail card. Um, it's it's so important. And I've traveled so many times without this. And when I was younger, I used to blindly, naively think that I could just work my way out of absolutely anything. Um, but of course, you learn that actually you can't. And sometimes the chips really do get down. And having that stash, that emergency um, card and funds that's always there with you. Um, Oh, it can save your bacon. And it's peace of mind too, isn't it? Mm, kind of like insurance. Same sort of thing. Yeah. You said a couple of hundred dollars. These days, um, more like a thousand dollars for a couple. With a thousand dollars, you can always get on an airplane and get out, even if you leave everything else behind. You need that uh, feeling of security that you can definitely get out. A couple hundred dollars may not do it anymore, especially for a couple. I meant, you know, that, that credit card and yeah, yeah and the cash. Of, You're saying a credit card plus the, the couple hundred bucks cash. I mean, you've got to work it out yourself, don't you? I mean, what you're comfortable yeah. doing. Mm. Yeah. When we were in Africa, we, we decided on the cash route because nobody took credit cards. I mean, what's mm-hmm. a credit card? So cash was very handy. We both had our own stash. It's funny what Sherry said about her mother saying, you always have your own money. Yeah. Susan said the same thing from her mother. Absolutely. Always have your own money and your own driver's license and your own house keys. <laughs> Never let him carry it. You carry your own. Mm, yep. Our mothers were very smart people. Yep, for sure. <laughs> but, you know, there's one thing that you can, um, when traveling as a couple, that you can't plan for. And uh, we met a couple um, who'd been traveling an awfully long time together and we spent a lot of time together with them in Alaska and and Canada, and uh, we just thought they were the match made in heaven. And not long after we all parted company, they stayed in the one place for two or three months, and uh, she met someone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And that was just that came out. So of- is the message here that you can't trust anybody? <laughs> well, no, it's just something that you just never know what life's going to toss up and, and whether you're uh, Dan, at home. Dan, Dan in Canadian, your, surely. Yeah. I'm Canadian. Yeah, yeah it's Dan Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> but life can toss things up that you don't plan for anywhere, be you on the road at, uh, or at home. So you just got to think about that when you're traveling, that you just don't know what's around the corner sometimes. If you guys were going to go uh, on a trip with a, a group of friends, and let's say let's say you don't know them real well, but you know them. Um, are you going to be satisfied when they talk about sharing the the camping gear and the tools and sort of things like that, or do you guys have rules where you say nope? I'm I'm always taking my own. 
take care I just of. wouldn't if I if I didn't home that well. I just wouldn't. I would see them as somebody to 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 do a little bit of the trip with. I wouldn't ex- expect to start and finish with them because if I don't know them that well, it's highly unlikely it's going to work. No. Yeah, that's right. No, I'm all, I, I, I've got to be self-sufficient. I'm not happy unless I'm self-sufficient. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Yeah, I am as well. Even when I, like, if I'm riding with somebody I know, I still want to have all my own stuff. Just for that thing of, because, you know, we talked about um, change of plans or, or or things happening, the other rider deciding that for whatever reason, you know, they want to call it quits and they want to head off and you're stuck um, with, with nothing or, or shy of, a, I don't know, an air pump, which could be, you know, a pretty big deal depending on where you are. They have a, a minor accident or a major accident and they have to go home. Then what do you do? Mm-hmm. You have to be prepared to be on your own and to, to go it alone. I think that's just an important basic thing. Have you guys seen um, Daniel Rince's film, Somewhere Else Tomorrow? Because this no. is what happens to him, doesn't it? He sets off with um, a really good friend and they travel for a few months together and Daniel's friend suddenly realizes that actually this isn't for him. He's, he misses everything at home and um, and the two of them split up. And, well, I mean, these two have been planning and dreaming and drooling and everything else and all excited and the buzz and, wow, what a, what a gut-dropping moment that must have been for, well, for them both. The friend having to, to say to Daniel, but Daniel then having to deal with it. I mean, Daniel, of course, goes on. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it happens, doesn't it, to the most unexpected people. So having your independence, the ability to stand on your own feet, um, it's a peace of mind thing, isn't it? And that peace of mind means that it doesn't get in the way of things developing and learning to do things together. Yeah, true. Because we're not true. clones, are we? No. Anyone else with a story about being stuck with that, though? Um, running into a situation where you find yourself, you know, without your contingency plan and you ended up getting burned? No, I can tell a story about a couple who uh, a little bit different. They were they crossed through a border and they were told to go. And so she went, but he was held back for a moment. And she didn't realize it until she's a mile or two down the road. Looks around, where is he? Where is he? And didn't see him. Nor, nor in sight. So she pulled down a side road and did it, started to do a U-turn. And as she's doing the U-turn, he goes flying by looking for her. Oh. And her she couldn't catch him. Oh. It took them till the next day to connect. Mm. It's, it's so is, easily done, isn't it? Those, far too the, easy. That, having that plan, what do we do if we split up? I mean, well, before we had mobile phones, we used to do this. If we went to all-night raves, it's like a... a at midnight at 3 a.m. at 6 a.m. we'll meet at this spot because you have to have a plan. <laughs> yeah, there has to be a basic. I mean, meet at the police station in the next town, something, anything. But you have to have a plan for what happens when it all goes wrong. And, of course, I think that you should – today a mobile phone is great, but what if you don't have two mobile phones because two SIM cards, two mobile phones, et cetera, is tricky – um, you could have an intercom. Um, an intercom has a reasonable range, which would make it a little easier. But even then, you could be suddenly out of range or you go around the mountainside and you're out of range. So what do you do when it all goes wrong? Exactly. I mean, what happens if you've both got mobile phones and part of the problem situation is that you've just been robbed and your mobile phone is one of the things that's gone? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, you've, having that meet-up point um, is, is so important. 
Um, Burger and I used to do that because, yeah, you know, there was always the risk that we would get split up and we would say, well, look, we're going to go to that town. Um, if we get split up, then that is going to be the place that we'll meet and um, we'll just go and we'll wait for days if necessary. Where would you say you'll meet in the town? Um, sometimes it would be a police station. Sometimes, don't laugh, it would be a hospital. Um, sometimes. <laughs> Sorry, Sam. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> but there would always be somewhere. For example, you know, a town might have a camping site. So, you know, if we were split up there, and a guidebook back then, um, a guidebook would tell you where the camping sites were. So you would say, well, we'll go and meet at that camping site if everything goes pear-shaped. But you're having to change that each time, aren't you? So in yeah. other words, you would do that yeah. each time? You would talk about it and say... Yeah. That, uh. Yeah, because I, I like Graham's idea of, of saying, you know, okay, we'll meet back here at, at this time and this time, this time when uh, when he's at a rave. I'm just wondering if, if there's some things, some ideas that we can give that um, would be good for riding that you don't have to redo each time that you always know. Like that, that idea that Grant said about meeting at the police station, if that's your standard go to, that's a great idea. Of course, unless there's two police stations, but um, yeah. but they can communicate with each other. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Because this is the thing with, with the, with the uh, story that Grant told, and, and I've had it myself, is when you don't know whether your partner is in front or behind, <laughs> you know, you're racing to catch up someone who's behind you. Yeah. Or, yeah. And, and that, that's when it all goes very wrong. <laughs> and the comms don't always work either. I was going to mention about the comms because sometimes comms, uh, they, they, uh, they unpair or they just don't reconnect again. And so you, if you're counting on that, and you, you could be right in range and not have them connect. So that's one of those things you, you really want to think it through what technology or what method you're going to use. You know, like if you want to, if you say, well, I'll meet you at the next Starbucks. <laughs> and there's four <laughs> Starbucks. That could be problematic. Yeah, I think it needs to be worked out in advance, depending on what they like to do. If they're Starbucks fans, okay, the next Starbucks will do. And again, you can always call the other Starbucks once you get to one. Mm, yep. Yeah, that, that, that story about the, the girl being lost on a side road reminded me of when I was travelling around Australia with a mate and um, he got a flat tyre. Now, I can fix normally fix a flat tyre on the side of the road, but we are in the outback and it's very, very hot, but there's some scrubby trees around and things like that. And what had happened is the valve stem on his bike had split. Now, how do you replace a valve stem in a tubeless rim on the side of the road? You simply can't do that. So I've ridden forward to the next town, which is about 80 kilometres away, and organised a tow truck to come back and pick him up. And as I said, it was stinking hot. So what we did is uh, we pulled his bike off under a tree near, near um, uh, a spot, and I told the tow truck driver where he was. He's about uh, 80 k's out the road. Now, because it was so hot, I was dehydrated. I went and had some something to drink, some water, and uh, I was probably 10 or 15 minutes behind the tow truck driver. Anyway, I get back 80 kilometres. The tow truck's not there. The tow truck has gone screaming past him uh, as he's under a tree off the road. Now, he was less than 20 metres off the road, and the tow truck driver didn't see him. So the tow truck driver's driven another 50 kilometres before he's turned around and come back to pick him up. So, you know, that's just a, a little salutary warning about if you do have to stop, stop somewhere conspicuous where people can see you on the route that you know you're, you're travelling on. You know, that, that could have been quite dangerous out there in the outback, to be quite honest with you. If you, you are out there for more than four or five hours without water, you're, you can be in a lot of trouble. 
Brian, you know, I always say to people that they should carry an umbrella. Um, a, yeah. a because yeah. of the shade in situations like yeah. that you've got your own portable pool of shade yeah. but one of the other things is your your umbrella should be some really disgusting colour like turquoise colour because yeah, it stands out exactly yeah. there's nothing like the, sh the shade of a, tr a shrub or a tree though that's a lot better than an umbrella right? you yeah know. but the umbrella acts as something well you could do that yeah. yeah that's true that's true yeah. you, 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 helmet, what I'm saying is you just got to think about it sorry put a helmet on the road that's what he should have done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd see a helmet at the side of the road. Yeah. A helmet at the side of the road means something's wrong here. Stop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's all those things that we Yeah, and don't leave it upside down because the ant's getting it. <laughs> well, I guess some um, – what would you – let's say, let's take a minute now and, and do our plugs – and uh, I also want to talk about fresh tracks, but I was going to say this is um before we do that this is this is the last uh, episode for 2019. This is a after this episode, then we go into year five. You realize year five wow. doing wow. Um, uh, Adventure Rider Radio Raw. That's that's pretty amazing. That's a long time we've been sitting around here doing this, and I really I want to take this minute just to to thank you guys for always coming here to to do this each month i mean we've been doing this for a long time now all of us gathering together almost every time we're, we're all here with rare exception i know you guys have rented hotel rooms before some of you i know you've changed your scheduling some sometimes getting up early in the morning sometimes staying up ridiculous times at night uh, to do the recording and i, I just want to thank you guys because um without you there wouldn't be a show so thank you very much no, there sure wouldn't be one without you, Jim. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Thanks Jim. Really Thank appreciate you. that. Yeah. yeah. So, um, mean hug, mate. Mean hug. Yeah, big, big <laughs> hug. Big hug. <laughs> but uh, so anyway, pretty cool. Hey, eh? we're going into into year five on, on the next episode. Anyway, before we get into our plugs, I want to throw out a plug for Fresh Tracks, which is our show sponsor. Freshtracks.co.uk facilitating adventurous conversations is what they do. They do a sort of a team building thing, but they also have something they that they call adventure space. And basically, what this is is this a place? It's in the UK. It's, it's near London, just outside of London, from what I understand. Where they've got a spot where you can go and you can set up a camp. Um, you can you can tent it, I guess, um, and you can also uh, rent one of their cabins. Um, and I think they even have a, a larger facility to stay at. But it's a, it's a place to set up and do like day trips from, that sort of thing, as a motorcyclist. Because apparently they've got all kinds of um, green lanes or roads, uh, dirt roads to ride nearby. Quite a nice little setup. So for motorcyclists, if you're in the UK, you're looking for a spot to stay. Freshtracks.co.uk forward slash adventure space. Um, you might want to check that out. Have a look. And of course, tell them you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio Raw freshtracks.co.uk forward slash adventure space. Now for plugs, why don't we start with Sam? What have you got, Sam? Well, we've got 45 seconds, so I'm going to talk really, really quickly. Uh, this last couple of times I've been mentioning my Christmas special offer on the full set of books. Can I slow down, please? Because this yeah, is not I think working you should, already. I think you should slow down. <laughs> <laughs> just wasted 10 seconds. <laughs> yeah. uh, <Just> <laughs> okay, so we, uh, uh, this is Christmas special offer on, on my full, uh, the full set of my books. And um, it is a fun gift for yourself or for a friend. Um, for every order of um, the full set um, books, they'll come out Christmas wrapped. Um, the copies will be 
signed by both Berg and I. And you've got the opportunity to have the books dedicated and a message written in them to whoever you would like. So if they're a gift, you can have them um, personalised. Um, and if you aren't bothered about signed copies, then um, head over to the book depository, which is free worldwide delivery. But I, I'm going to be really greedy here, but with good intent, because I want to do a second one, if I may. How about doing something really special? How about giving a card with a receipt, a Christmas card with a receipt? And the receipt that I'm talking about is give a gift for something like paying for an operation for a child born in a developing world to give them sight. Many kids are born with cataracts, for example, and they never see. Yet a small amount of money can give them the, the gift of sight. I mean, let's say um, $40 US um, could give them sight. And what a fantastic Christmas tree, a Christmas present that would be. And I'm going to give um, Jim and Elizabeth the link for this. So um, just go and check it. And you, there are all sorts of things like that you can you can give. But what a fantastic Christmas present that would be. So enough for me. Happy Christmas. Wow, forty dollars. That yeah, and that's legit. Look at that. I have absolutely. Wow. wow. Can that's you imagine so giving somebody sight? No. A child. I can't imagine um, for that. For $40. I mean, that's incredible. $20 for each eye. That's 2020 vision. Wow. <laughs> wow. You are on fire. <laughs> More ways than one. Graham, dare I ask, what have you got? Um, you may have heard me talk about the pannier box set, but have you actually seen what it looks like? If you go to my website, grahamfield.co.uk, you will see this wonderful replica 3D pannier, which contains one or three of any of the items. You could buy one of the books, one of the T-shirts, one of the audio books. They all arrive in the pannier box. And you can give one box to your mate, a T-shirt to another friend, keep the audio book for yourself, and you get the box for your bookshelf. So... Forget what you've heard. Go and have a look at it. There's a, a three-dimensional spinning GIF on the website and have a look. So you don't have to just buy it all for yourself or all for someone else. You can divide the different things out and, and give them away. The other thing is, as I speak, the last audio book, Different Natures, is now available for downloads on Amazon and iTunes. So if you don't like to go to websites and go through the process of buying and clicking with a one click now on audible you can download your version of different natures that's my plug the uh, the the pannier book set thing um that's not a full-size pannier uh no because yeah, <laughs> I, mean, uh, I mean anybody's gonna think well what am i going to do with this huge pannier it's a very cool looking pannier but it's not it's it's bookshelf size isn't it yeah, it's replica. Yeah, it's um, it's not exact replica. It's it's a big enough to contain three books. That was the whole point of it. The yeah. uh, the most inspired and enviable motorcycle packaging on the planet. <laughs> yeah, so you don't have to get this thing and make it into into like a garbage basket or anything. You can actually put it on your bookshelf. Yeah, you wouldn't get a lot of uh, you wouldn't get a lot of garbage in there. It's uh, it's it's more for your bookshelf. I, right. I mean, obviously, I'll put it on my bookshelf because I'm so bloody proud of it. But man, it looks good. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, Brian and Shirley, what have you got? Sure, you go. We've actually got one of those panniers in our bookshelf. Have you? Yeah. yeah. We pay for it. Oh, that's nice of you. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought that's a whole the idea. The post office in your mum's lounge room um, posted it over for us. Um, yeah, look, it's just 
you'd really have to hurry to get book, our books from Australia for Christmas. But I do have a story to tell that our koala um, Christmas wrapping paper went down very well and I sent a, a packet of books, a set of books over to the UK and one to a suburb in Sydney, which is about a thousand kilometres from where we live. And the UK was delivered the day after the Sydney packet. <laughs> <laughs> They both left the Castlemaine Post Office on the same day. Same day. So, but AussiesOverland.com.au for um, a set of books, special price for the UK and Canada and the US, and uh, Christmas wrapping paper with kangaroos and koalas wearing Santa hats. And I'm going to give a, a, a couple of little plugs. And this is for people who want to travel in Australia in the outback, be you Aussies or be you guests from overseas. Make sure you know about the Royal Flying Doctor Service. I think, Tim, you had a look at the little thing I posted in relation to the Royal Flying Doctor Service. They rescue a hell of a lot of injured motorcyclists from the outback. They fly in, pick you up and take you where you want to go or where you need to go, I should say. Uh, don't ever um, go into the outback without understanding what the Royal Flying Doctor Service do. Um, a couple of other little plugs couple of events, motorcycle events that are coming up in Australia, which I absolutely love. And if you want to do them, do them um, uh, with me. Um, the Phillip Island Motorcycle Classic, great old bikes are down there from the 24th to the 26th of January um, over our Australia Day weekend. And of course, I think I spoke about last time, the Turn Up Ride, which is going from Melbourne to Darwin. And the stipulation is you ride a classic old bike. Or more importantly, if you're like me, you get a bike and uh, make sure that your your bike's age and your age uh, is more than or at least 100 years of age. So that's why I've got a 1972 CB750 in parts at the moment, which will be ridden to Darwin. And that is supporting what's called the Black Dog Ride, which is um, a charity here supporting um, post-traumatic stress disorders and things like that. Um, we've got a lot of people that are, particularly our farmers, who are struggling at the moment. Um, so please support those charities, which I fully endorse. 1972, Brian, you can get a lot newer bikes than that. Sorry? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, okay. <laughs> Grant, what have you got? I've got a couple of things. First off, the Horizons Unlimited Achievable Dream. I'm giving away to raw listeners the Achievable Dream Get Ready DVD set. Or sorry, the Achievable Dream, not the DVD, the video on Vimeo. Go to vimeo.com slash Horizons Unlimited. Go to the uh, part one, Get Ready. There are two segments. Click and buy, and the password to get them free is RAW, of course. You're serious. All caps. Wow, I'm serious. Fantastic. How's that for a startup wow. to get you warmed up? <laughs> very nice. Also, go ahead, Jim. Say no, I just, I can't believe it. I mean, it's very, you're, you're, give, you're giving it, you, you do know what you're doing here, right? Yeah. Okay. I'm hoping you're going to buy part two, part three, part four, part five. Wow, that's that's really cool. Okay, part great. one. There's a, there's two and a half hours of video for free, so wow. go and get it. Password Roth. And if you want something to put under the Christmas tree, you can get the Achievable Dream Collector's Box Set for only sixty three dollars, which is a big savings. And we'll throw in Road Heroes for free. 
And there's a coupon code for that, Box Set Plus, when you order. I don't know why she did Box Set Plus, but that's Susan's department, not mine. <laughs> so there you go. So those are both available right now. And, of course, we have events, lots of events coming up. We've got people registering the Newfoundland event, which is next August. We've got all kinds of people from all over the world already registering for that event. It's going to be really something. And, of course, we have Virginia, Germany, Latvia. Latvia is a new one. Hub UK, Can West, Hum Cascades. I can talk about Hum Cascades. We're in a new location for the Hum in British Columbia. It's based in Princeton and the Cascades Mountain Range, which is absolutely fantastic, spectacular, beautiful riding, mountain lakes, streams, all kinds of amazing riding, single track, double track, anything you can want. It's going to be a spectacular, fun run. We're really looking forward to that one. And I'm doing the tag laying out myself uh, with a friend of mine, a couple of friends, and we're making sure that the tags are going to be interesting just to get your uh, get you working, get the brain working. So lots of stuff happening, lots of events. Check out horizonsunlimited.com slash events, vimeo.com slash horizonsunlimited. And don't forget, to, if you want something under the tree, you can have the box set. And have a good Christmas. Well, um, back to our uh, our topics at hand. I, I think we've um, we pretty. Did you guys have anything more you wanted to, to say on this one? No. On, on the, um, the the plugs, no, I didn't. But um, one thing I did want to mention, and I forgot to earlier on, was when we were talking about um, losing each other when you're traveling. There is an app, and I don't know how many people have come across it. I, I've only known about it for um, a few weeks. You do need to have a phone signal for it, but there are plenty of places in the world that we all travel where we've got phone signals. It's an app called What Three Words? And what three words essentially points to a very specific location. The developers divided the world into 57 trillion squares. Get that. Each of them measuring 10 foot by 10 foot. And each has a unique randomly assigned three-word address. So um, it might be drop-dead gorgeous. And if you were to say to somebody else, well, I'm drop-dead gorgeous, then they would know exactly where you are on, their, on their, the app on their phone, for example. And uh, we've used it several times just, just for fun. It's really interesting how well it works. So what three words? It's um, it's worth people having a look at. What three? Well, that's interesting. That's kind of like the universal transverse Mercator grid system, except it's much simpler than that because mm -hmm. um, you just have to use the, just have to remember your three words. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So I assume there's a map there that you zoom into and you, it breaks it down. Yeah. It's 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 just very interesting, and there's all sorts of whistles and flutes that you can play with on this thing. It's not difficult to use at all, but it's very interesting. It's um it's worth people having a look at. It's um it's getting more and more popular because it is so straightforward to use. People can't read longitude and latitude anymore. No, that's part of the thing, isn't it? I mean, how many people know mm. how longitude and latitude actually works and how many people are going to get it right? Yet being able to say, um, well, I'm drop-dead gorgeous – yeah, anybody can pick that up. Oh, come on. I'm expecting you yeah. guys to be rude to me now. I'm just not <laughs> We are deliberately avoiding the possibility. Oh. We're being polite. All right. So it could be cockroach-infested pits. That's probably more appropriate then, isn't it? <laughs> I like that one. So, Sam, I, I, I absolutely love the idea that you have there about um, the operation. I'm, I'm blown away. $40, that just that's, that stuns me. 
it is that time of year, isn't it? You know, we're 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 at Christmas time, where I think a lot of people, um, at least if you're if you're into Christmas and you celebrate it, then um, you start thinking about things maybe that you can do or or ways to to make people feel good. But even if you're not, I mean, is the turnover of the the calendar? We are going into a new year, and I think that's always anytime we pass landmarks or or some sort of um, I mean, it's not really a landmark, but some sort of mark, some sort of demarcation point, which is the end of the year in this case. It always is time to think about things and and consider what's going on and and I think in particular in the way the world is nowadays, um, it just seems sometimes that you know you look on social media or anywhere and it seems like things are getting a little heated. There's a lot of stress out there, but while there's that going on, there's a lot of people out there that are doing incredible things despite what, you know the, what's going on that may be stressful for a lot of people probably a you know a, a great time to sit back and think about that and I love the idea of of doing something like that for Christmas or for a gift you know giving something to someone that's uh, that you feel um, you know that, that, that can make a big difference for them rather to change something in their lives um, what you were saying about restoring sites um, Sam we have an organization in Australia called the Fred Hollows Foundation and they have a similar thing. Um, of $25 or $35 that will restore the site of someone in a third world country who can't afford to to have um, eye surgery and his surgeons uh, also go into the outback to remote communities here in Australia. Yeah, come on, sure. explain, explain the Fred Hollow story. Oh, yeah, that, Fred was a, a friend of my dad's, so, um, but his work is, is quite extraordinary here. And another Aussie thing that people have done here, you will, some of you will be aware of the um, terrible bushfires we've had very early in the season, much earlier than we normally get them. And in some areas, they think that it has wiped out koala populations completely. And in a small country town on the coast of New South Wales called Port Macquarie, they have a koala hospital and they put a GoFundMe page up asking people who cared about koalas to just pop in a couple of dollars. They hoped to get $25,000. They got over a million dollars and they're now starting, uh, once they get over the um, trauma of all the koalas that are in their, in their hospital at the moment, they're going to start a breeding program. So people can really make a difference just with a small amount. As Sam said, you know, with the eyesight thing, just a few quid or a few dollars and you really can make a difference. It's it's fantastic, isn't it? You know, I think there's an awful lot of bar humbug people around at Christmas. And I think that many of those have come that way because of the extreme waste and the pure consumerism that's wrapped around Christmas. But I think Christmas is somewhere where we need to be making a point of thinking about all of those teams of people who are out there doing things and the people who are contributing to those, just as you've um, been describing, Shirley. I mean, the, the fires in Australia, the fires in um, the USA, are just as, as two examples. What about all of those teams of trained people, the volunteers, the kind-hearted people that are out there in the world helping in disaster zones and helping those in dire straits. I just think this is a time for us all to be thinking about those and thanking them for, for being out there and doing what they do. And I know through personal contacts with people um, who are listeners to Adventure Rider Radio, there's actually a lot of Adventure Rider Radio um, listeners that are out there getting involved. And yeah, I'd just like to give a, a thumbs up to, to everybody because, yeah, um, good on you, mates. 
and the motorcyclists, motorcyclists who travel around and see somewhere that needs a bit of a hand and will stop and help. You see them helping oh. build houses in, in remote communities yeah. and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. We have a friend whose son um, has uh, taken some time off school to go to the Bahamas where he's helping put roofs back on buildings that were destroyed during the hurricane. So it's a teenage boy who's just given up a cushy life to go and uh, to do that. It's very good. Fantastic. Good for him. What an experience yeah. for him too. Mm -hmm. yep. yep, that's right. He's posted online some great shots. He's a really good kid. And look, here in Australia, you're right, Sam, we have had devastating bushfires in places we've never had bushfires before. And farmers have been absolutely um, horsewhipped with um, five years of drought and these bushfires have just destroyed fencing and all that sort of stuff. Here in Australia, we have a thing called Blaze Aid, which um, one farmer organised some people to come in and help rebuild fences. Now, that's just taken off. Retired people, travellers, meet up in certain locations where they need fences rebuilt. They pull up in their caravans and, and, and stop with their tents and the local community get together and feed them and they come in and they build miles and miles and miles of fencing for farmers which really need a hand and that's been going on for a long time and if you're a traveler and you and you you've got the time god you get a lot of benefit out of there doing that sort of stuff and and uh, please um support all these these uh, people that go out and do these these hard yards if you can't get out there and do it yourself Good well stuff. said yep graham uh, well, uh, I don't know if I talked about this uh, because it was in between shows, but a couple of months ago when I was doing my trip back to the UK, I was in Bosnia and um, I came across some refugees who were wandering aimlessly. They'd had their phones smashed by the Croatian police. They didn't know where they were. They really didn't have anything. They were destitute. Um, and I went and found them some food and some water and helped them get their bearings so they could wander. They were in, actually in Croatia. They crossed the border so they could get back to Bosnia to the refugee camp. Uh, I, I wrote a full article about it and I'll put the links in the show notes so you can get the full story because it's quite an interesting story. What happens, I think, sometimes on the road, you come across situations which once were just another news story to you, which you really didn't pay much attention to. And all of a sudden, real life knocks on your door. You see exactly how it is. And all of a sudden, it's not just something in a stream of bad news. It's real people suffering from a, a real conflict, real hardships. And um, it really brought it home to me. I also saw a little um, eight-minute uh, BBC documentary on the plight of the uh, refugees and, and what was happening in Bosnia. And during some insomnia night, I thought, what could you really do? What if you were Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook and you had infinite amounts of money? How could you change it? I said, well, ultimately, it goes back to the countries that these people are leaving and the governments and the war and everything. Well, you can't really change that, can you? So it goes right back to grassroots. And you can give some blankets. You can do something like that. And so anyway, at the bottom of this article, there are some little Facebook groups and uh, links to the volunteer organisations of the very simple things that they need. It is now December and there is still all this, this influx of refugees getting as far as Bosnia, can't get any further. And they are overrun. The agencies are overrun. There's there's disease, there's lack of food, there's lack of facilities. And uh, there's... 
there's just this um, this ability to, to give very little and do an awful lot. And without going on about it too much, if you choose to read the article and you choose to look at the bottom, there's some links there. And uh, for me, it's something I'm quite passionate about at the moment because I saw it face to face and it's and it's real for me. And I've read that article, Graham, and it's a, a fabulous article. And don't downplay what you did. You didn't find them some food. You went and yeah. bought them food and water. Yes, you did. And help them help them move to the next step towards um, a refugee camp. That was a really good thing to do. A lot of people would have kept on writing and avoided them. Yeah. No, so well done, good, you. It's a very good article. I, I read it as well. I, I really like that. It's a, oh, it's a perfect example of us. Why do we treat um, Christmas as a glitzy poke in the ribs to do things like look out for other people, to hunt for opportunities to help? Um, you know, I, how many times do we walk past a beggar on the street? From from now between now and Christmas, I pledge that every beggar that I walk past on the street, I'm going to give some money to, or I'm going to go into the nearest supermarket and I'm going to get a packet of sandwiches from. I'm not going to walk past one single one of them. I don't care why they're there. There's nothing that I can particularly do about that, but I can give them five minutes of joy. Why not do that? It doesn't cost me very much to do it. So why don't we treat Christmas as being a glitzy poke in the ribs? Do something unexpected and kind to help somebody else, whether it's a stranger or whether it's a mate. It's That's Christmas spirit, isn't it? Yeah, it is indeed. Do you guys have any any like this is the last shot at 2019? Anyone want to you know like think? Yeah, absolutely. I would like to wish all of the Adventure Rider Radio and Adventure Rider Radio Raw listeners a very happy Christmas and an absolutely fantastic 2020. Um, I hope that next year is just going to be rammed full of adventures for you, preferably on two wheels. Have a great one. Anyone else? Okay, well, yeah, I just want to say nobody else has anything else to say after that one. <laughs> I sure well, don't. Uh, well, I just want to, it's, it's very difficult when I'm sitting here in front of the laptops, staring at the screen. I will still find it difficult to imagine that people actually listen. But apparently they do because you get emails uh, which they, uh, which enthuse about the show. So uh, just thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks for listening to us too. I mean, we um, we get emails and Facebook comments from people that are listening to the, the um, Pedal Wireless and the podcasts. I think we've... But as Sam has put it quite eloquently, thanks to all the listeners out there that uh, take on board this this podcast, it's a lot of fun for us to do. And for Graham, Sam, Grant, and particularly you, Jim, and your better heart, a great job, mate, and you provide a great service, and it's a lot of fun. And let's look forward to another couple of great um, podcasts in 2020. Only a couple. The rest of them will probably be rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> Merry Christmas, everyone. Yeah, Merry, yep. Merry Christmas, Merry everybody. Christmas. For those of you who don't celebrate Christmas, have a great 2020, and we hope to see you on the road somewhere, someday, who knows where. things up for this month's ARR Raw and thank you to my co-host starting with Sam Manicom. He lives in the UK. He's got four books and audiobooks that follow his eight-year motorcycle journey around the world. His website sam-manicom.com 
Shirley Hardy Ricks and Brian Ricks are from Australia. They also publish their own books on motorcycle travel. You can buy them wherever you get ebooks at their website, aussiesoverland.com.au. Graham Field lives in Bulgaria. He's the author of audiobooks and written books that chronicle his journeys at grahamfield.co.uk. And of course, Grant Johnson is from Horizons Unlimited, which is the hub, literally, for our adventure motorcycling community. Horizons Unlimited has tons of up-to-date travel information as well as a huge forum of dedicated travelers that connect you with other travelers. They also put on the hub meets around the world. You can see a worldwide list of hub meets at their website, horizonsunlimited.com. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin. My name is Jim Martin. Thank you for listening. Join us again next time. Oh, and don't forget, if you want to get uh, your question or a topic suggestion in here, drop by our website. You can also look at the show notes. I have some more information in here. You can make comments on the show notes. AdventureRiderRadio.com.